Welcome to the Victory Life Church podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at blcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. We're continuing the study of David. You know, there's a lot of people out there that you can emulate. And I don't know who you expose your children to. There's a lot of famous people out there, a lot of famous athletes, a lot of famous stars. And I would always ask my children, who are your heroes? So if you want to build things, well, who's the Christian hero that's a builder that you will model? yourself after. If you want to build a business, find a godly Christian man or woman who has built a godly business and model your business after that. If there are some godly parents out there, then model yourself after those individuals. David is one of those guys that we can look at and see what God has done through his life. Now remember, it's not the Bible's not about King David. It's about God revealing himself who he is through the individuals that you read about in scriptures. And then we glean from what God has done in the life of David. We already studied three messages on him. We talked about, Jacob talked about the first message on King David about the anointing, how he was separated from everyone else and elected to be the king of Israel. But then it would be years before he would become king. And I brought the message on what do you do while you're waiting for that assignment? We know God is busy developing character in every individual while he's waiting to put you in that position of marriage, a new home, a new job, a new position. And then last week, David, uh, excuse me, Jacob also brought a message about slaying the giants about how David killed Goliath. Now, what do you do for an encore after you slayed a giant in front of all your peers, in front of all your friends, in front of all your brothers who were fearing to go out there and battle Goliath? Now you're riding on cloud 10. What do you do for an encore? And there were many things that David did well. And there are some things that we need to look at of what he did. And we call this message this morning, The Giant Aftermath. Now, there's a couple things that I want us to look at. And we'll have a scripture to lead us into this particular topic. The first one David had to deal with was jealousy. Here's the passage, Proverbs 27, 4. Anger is cruel and wrath is like a flood. But jealousy is even more dangerous. The second subject we'll cover. Now he had to deal with Saul's jealousy. He wanted to take matters in his own hands. He he was tempted like you and me to take matters into his own hands. But what does God teach us about that through the life of David? Well, he teaches us in Deuteronomy 32. It is mine to avenge. I will repay. And then the third thing I want to bring to your attention this morning, there were so many things we could talk about, about the giant aftermath, but his conversation with God 
We call that prayer, don't we? Conversation with God. Many of the Psalms were written during this time, and we see how God worked in David's life. But there were some times when he did not pray. We're going to talk about that. But let's look at Psalms 23 before we pray this morning. This is one of the Psalms he wrote, probably according to most scholars, when he had this binding relationship with Saul's son, Jonathan. And here's what he wrote. You know this Psalm so well. It is not to be read just at someone's funeral. Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me into the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare before me in the presence of my enemies a table. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Let's pray. Lord, I I said this to the worship team, and I say this for all of us here this morning. Help us visualize you literally on this stage or perhaps sitting next to us. You said you live in us, just like you told us in this psalm. I will always be with you in the valleys and the mountaintops. But you're here with us this morning, and we want to honor you. We, we hope we have honored you with our worship, our singing, our giving. Now opening up our ears and our minds, would you speak to us? Because it's your word that will not return void. And would you speak through your messenger? My mind will think on the things you want me to think on and say the things that you want me to say and hold my tongue from saying what I should not say. Most of all, may they see you, Jesus, as I speak. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, David. After he slayed his giant, he had to deal with jealousy. How many of you ever had to deal with personal jealousy or outward jealousy? What a task it is to deal with someone that is jealous. Well, Saul was jealous of David's success. Let's remind ourselves about this particular incident. In 1 Samuel chapter 18... When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the word got around quickly, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. By the way, we want God's people to praise. Thank you, ladies, for setting an example of not having so much pride that you know how to exhibit your praise unto the Lord. May we learn something as guys from our ladies and women 
that they're not afraid to praise God with outstretched arms or unbended knees. But don't try to conjure it up. They had something to praise God about. You don't come to church service and try to wind yourself up and then praise God. If he's doing something in your life, or if he's doing something in the life of this church, or he's doing something in the life of this nation, yes, then there's an excitement and enthusiasm about Jesus Christ. But even if there's not that, as we just sang a while ago, there's still something to praise God about. Amen? But in this situation, they came out because they realized The army had killed the Philistines and the giant had been slayed. So they came, and this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Hmm. Saul's pondering on this. This made Saul very angry. Hmm. What's this, he said. They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands? Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. You know, this this jealousy is connected really to the Tenth Commandments. You know the Tenth Commandment. If not, I'll remind you of it in Exodus 20. You can jot that down in your notes. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male, or female servant, or his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Let me give you a definition of jealousy and covetousness. Jealousy says, I want what you have, and until I have it, you shouldn't have it either. Covetousness says, I want what you have. In fact, I'm more worthy than you. To have it. You see how they kind of blend together? Jealousy can cause all kinds of sinful reactions. As a pastor, I've had to deal with this, pastoring since 1986. I was told I was going to be another Billy Graham. I'm not. And I used to get on my knees in front of the altar and say, God, why are you holding this from me? And then I used to look at other churches, and I had to deal with jealousy. I had to deal with the other pastors far surpassing me when I went to school with these people. And I would cry and grieve like a silly, immature child. Now, 40 years later, six children and 16 grandkids, I understand a lot more clearly what it is that God wanted to do through me, and that was to raise godly saints and preachers in my family. I'm telling you, I wouldn't trade what I have for the biggest pulpit in the United States, for the biggest stage in the world, because I would not have been able to spend time with my children, their ball games, their events, pour into them Jesus, get up in the morning, fix breakfast, teach them the Bible, teach them how to breathe on every sentence they were breathing in the Bible and reading out loud, stop at the commas and the periods, fight, have food fights, and all that fun stuff. And now, as you know, Jacob's going to become the next pastor here. Let me tell you something. I am so thrilled that that God did not give me what I wanted. But I failed many times with that word jealousy. Jealousy can cause a lot of unnecessary heartache, 
a lot of unnecessary turmoil. What is it that you really want this morning? What is it that you really desire? God knows you. He knows what you need. He knows the very hairs on your head, if you have any left. He knows the span of your life. He cares for the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. He loves you, and he wants to take care of you. Well, Saul certainly didn't have a handle on this. And so he dealt with jealousy. There's another kind of jealousy that's very dangerous, too. And that is a wife being jealous of her husband or a husband being jealous of his wife. The Bible warns us of this in Proverbs 6, 34. It says, for jealousy arouses a husband's fury, and he will show no mercy when he takes revenge, even though he's not supposed to. He will not accept any compensation. He will refuse a bribe, however great it is. There has been a lot of unnecessary conflict because people have committed the sin. It can be forgiven, but this has happened. What is jealousy's cure? You know, from the time we're little, we're taught to be better than someone else, or we're taught you want to be something great. You want to make mom and daddy proud of you. And when sister or brother does better than them, it provokes jealousy. Jealousy is constant in kids. They have something, oh, they want it. They're eating something, they want it. And they try to take it away. You see that at a very early age in your children. Or in sports, you're not the best. And you're jealous of someone that does better than you. Or in school, you're not the brightest tool in the tool chest. And yet everyone seems to do so well. You drive the the fancy car, and you get all the attention. You're the great singer or the great actor, and you get all the attention, and you're jealous of that. You have to deal with this, this temptation on a constant basis. So what's the cure? What is the cure? And David learned how to handle this jealousy. Proverbs teaches us, and so does Philippians teach us. But let's look at Philippians 4. This is the answer to jealousy. Paul said this, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Just meditate on that for a moment. I know what it is to be in need. Listen, God says he will meet your needs. He will supply your needs. But he does tell us there will be trying times, times of testing in your life. And it doesn't mean his favor is not on you, but he is doing a work in you and me. It's not going to be all peaches and cream. He tells us in advance, I want to let you know, Paul, I want to let you know, believer, how much you must suffer for my name's sake. But don't suffer because you were stupid. He goes on to say, I have learned the secret of being content in every situation. That will eradicate jealousy. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You know, when I first became a pastor, 
1986. I barely had two nickels to rub together. And I would come to church, and I'm around a lot of people from 20 to 80. And a lot of them have achieved a lot of success. They drive the nice cars, live in the nice homes, and I'm introduced to all that. Now, normally, the average person who's not involved in church, they usually hang around the social economical crowd uh, that, uh, that fits their style. You know, they, they make a, they, maybe they make $50,000. They hang around people that make $50,000. But when you're in a church, you're around all kinds of people in the social economical ladder. And we have to be careful not to be jealous of what our brother or sister has in Christ. And they would invite me out to eat, and I would say, listen, I, I make enough. My family's being, t- being taken care of, but I can't go out to eat with you every Sunday and pay for my own bill. Now, I don't want you to pay for mine, but I can't go out to eat with you. Don't feel sorry for me. I'm just starting like you got started at one time. But there's a tendency to be jealous of what other people have. But God has given you exactly what you need. So the cure The cure is learning to be content with what you have. When I first got married, my wife and I lived in the trailer while while I was getting my master's degree. Then we moved out of the trailer to another trailer when we first came to Florida. Learn to be happy and content where you're at. Your kids will read that all over your countenance. I have learned to be content in every situation, whether I have a little or a lot. I have a lot more than I had back then, and now I'm in this situation. God, do you want the lot that I have so that I have little again? Well, David had to deal a long time with Saul's jealousy. And because of Saul's jealousy, it led to attempted murder over eight times. He tried to kill David. You got to be careful that you don't let that jealousy get out of hand, that you do something very stupid and take matters into your own hands. It's happening all over this country and is being bred by people that are lost, that are in high positions, pitting one American against the other. Take vengeance in your own hands and destroy and kill. Christians, we are never to be a part of that. I've been asked the question a lot of times. When do I have permission to actually kill? Well, let's look at this. I like what I've said this before. When asked of Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, have you ever thought about divorcing your husband? She said no. Murder? Yes. (laughs) But not divorce. So let's look at the subject of vengeance. I want my, where's my wife? I'm glad she's, I can't see her. She's back there working. <laughs> let's look at David, how he handled this. The good and the bad. The good. Look how he handled it on many occasions. Here's one of the occasions found in 1 Samuel chapter 24. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in desert of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way, 
A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said, I will give your enemy into your hands and for you to deal with it as you wish. Be careful who you hang around, especially those people always wanting to get a divorce. You'll always have people at work that will tell you, get rid of that rat, right? Be careful who you hang around. Go ahead and steal that. It's okay. I remember, honestly and sincerely, being in a, a school, and uh, I got kicked out of first grade and second grade. I was a terrible child. Went to special school for retards. Seriously, you look in this class, there's one window, and everybody looks in there going, <laughs> look who's... I was a terrible child. My mom couldn't handle me, and the school couldn't handle me. And I'm in this class, and they're peeking in there. And, uh, well, they didn't like me at all, and I didn't like them. And the long story short, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> Maybe I wasn't... I did ask God, didn't I, at the beginning of the message to keep my tongue from saying something I'm not supposed to. <laughs> and maybe I wasn't supposed to say. All I remember is laying on a mat like this long, and I had lied, and I had to grab, I'm going to go this way, grab my ankles like this, and the teacher took a paddle with, oh, it's a little hole, with little holes in it. It's called a whammy. It was made of steel. Boom! And you're like this. Guess what happens when boom, shh, this didn't happen one time, 10 times. That was back when teachers could paddle the kids. I got been there. Someone else said they've been there and done that. You, let me tell you, the, the thing that I was going to say is one of the teachers, psychiatrists, told me, I told her I had a problem stealing, and I was a thief before I became a giver. How many were thieves before they became a giver? How many of you are liars and won't admit it? <laughs> I used to go in stores and always tuck stuff down my pants because I didn't get the food at home. I was going to go to the store and get what I deserved. Remember covetousness, what I just said, and jealousy? I didn't get any, so I deserve it, and I'm going to take it. So she told me, you have a problem with stealing, huh? Yes. Let me tell you something. Do not steal out of the big stores like Publix. When Dixie's, go to the, wait, now reverse it. She goes, you know what? Don't steal out of the little stores. Steal out of the big stores. They won't miss the business. Can you imagine a psychiatrist telling you, giving you permission to go ahead and steal? That made my day. <laughs> I left there and went in the store, took some stuff, put it down my pants, put some stuff in my back pockets, and someone saw me. But I saw them. I went around to another aisle, took it out, get to the front. Stop in the name of Publix. <laughs> Open your shirt. You stole something. I said, buddy, you're barking down the wrong tree. I don't remember everything I said. I knew I had him over a barrel. And they started accusing me in front of the public, and I threw up my shirt. I won't do that here. I threw up my shirt. See, don't you ever think of accusing me again, buddy. 
He said, don't you ever, what's that in your back pocket? I had cigarettes in my back pocket. Oh, I got them from another store. Actually, I stole them from that store. But he didn't dare think of accusing me again after embarrassing him in front of everybody else. See, you hang around the wrong people. They'll tell you all the things that you want to hear. Even the crowd that David was accumulating were the wrong kind of people. However, through his conduct and his behavior, he began to change the minds and hearts of those men and women that hung around him by his behavior and conduct. Notice the rest of this spelled out in chapter 24. He said, then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. After David was conscience-stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe, he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul, and Saul left the cave and went on his way. Wow. David could have taken matters into his own hands. This guy had come after him. He tried to, on many occasions, to kill him. He threw a spear at him on more than a couple occasions. Thousands of men came after this little rascal from his viewpoint. Yet David refused to take matter into his own hands. Why? Because he was anointed of God. He knew God had selected him to be the king. Now I'm going to skip over some stuff for our, our young lady in the back, and I want to get to the, uh, the other part, the bad part. This is the good thing that David did in chapter 24 of 1 Samuel. He refused to take matters into his own hands concerning the kingship. He was anointed king. That was his throne. God told him he was anointed by the, the priest, Samuel, and yet he refused to take the life of Saul, even though he had the chance to do it. You know, you can destroy someone's reputation with your words. There's more than one way to kill. But notice this. Have you ever had a great victory in your life like David killing Goliath? And you did a lot of good things right. Be very careful. Lest pride come before a fall. Following on the heels of 1 Samuel chapter 24 is chapter 25. David's men had surrounded Nabal's estate, Nabal and Abigail's estate. He was very wealthy. Remember David's running from Saul and all these vagabonds and uh, people were gathering around David and following him. They had nothing else to do. Some knew he was going to become king, but they didn't have any food. But their small little army that they had protected Nabal's estate from thieves like myself. <laughs> and then it came time for a festival and he was hungry and he, he wanted some food. And so the story goes that Nabal refused to give him some food. And so David said in his heart, that rascal 
We protected his estate from all the thieves from stealing from him. Guys, strap on your swords, get on your horses. We're going to kill him and every man in his estate, man, woman, and child. See, he just won a victory against Goliath. He, he trusted God that he'll get on that throne when he's supposed to, and he didn't take matters into his own hands. And he doesn't kill Saul when he had the chance. But then he got weak need. And he, was, he actually committed murder because the Bible says when you hate, there's a lot of hate going on in this world right now, isn't there? A lot of hate. The Bible says when you hate, you're a murderer. When you lust, you're an adulterer. So he tells us and equates murder with hate. Different consequences, yes, but in God's eyes, David was a murderer. But God protected him, and he sent Abigail, Abigail, Nabal's wife, to him to prevent him from doing that. Moral of the story, guys, be careful when you win a victory or when you slay a giant, as Jacob talked about last week. When you slay a giant... Be careful, because the enemy is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You and me do not have to be afraid of him, right? Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. But we need to be wise, making sure we're on our guard, for he's prowling around. He has designed a temptation especially for you, because he knows my weakness. He knows your weakness and he's going to come at you when your guard is down. He came at David on several occasions when his guard was down. This is one of those examples. Let me give you another example just to help nail this point home about not taking vengeance into your own hands. What about the apostles? They're on the Mount of Transfiguration, one of the highlights of the apostles' life. To see Moses, to see Elijah, to see Jesus transfigured. Let's read that. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up to the mountain to pray. Man, I pray for this that would happen in this church during the 21 days of prayer and fasting. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Great experience. A mountaintop experience these apostles had. The riding on cloud nine. Can you, I mean, don't you, we who love God, don't you want to encounter him? And his glory and his Shekinah glory. Just, can I say this? Just to enjoy him. To walk around with the creator of the heavens and the earth and see his artistry in the heavens and talk with him like the apostles did. Wow, there's nothing better than that. Even David said, I'd rather be a tent doorkeeper or a doorkeeper in the tents of Jesus than dwell in the houses, the palaces of the wicked. That's why I want to experience the Shekinah glory, not for some magic trick, just to enjoy him in a greater way than we have ever before. Don't you desire this? They just got to enjoy this. What was their attitude not long after that? Here's the bad. 
found in Luke 9. They get away from that experience. They travel to a village. Here's what happens. As the time approached in Luke 9, for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messages on ahead who went, into some, who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading to Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy them? Taking matter into their own hands, Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. You have to remember the half-breed Samaritans, full-breed Jews, did not like the half-breed Samaritans at all. Arch enemies. What do they do after they come out this Mount of Transfiguration? They want to see them destroyed. Let me ask you something. Don't look so innocent out there. How many times have you been in a car and someone cut you off, and if you had the power in you and you could say, zap them, God, how many would be dead? It may happen to you already on the way to church this morning. You and me would have murdered a lot of people, killed them, taking vengeance into your own hands. I remember, I don't know if my son will remember this, you like stories from the past? Oh, sometimes you do. I, I'm across the street, right, in my neighborhood in Coconut Creek where I lived for 16 years. And this guy was nice. Until one day his wife came over and told me, my husband is beating me up and smacking me and hitting me. Well, actually, they weren't even married. And she comes to me and asks me for wisdom and advice. I said, anybody, married or not married, don't let someone abuse you like that. Amen? Get out of the house now. She got out. Was he happy? Not at all. He began to get mad and angry at me. So people would come over to my house for Bible studies and parties, and cars would park in front of the house and so he had to back out of his driveway too close to the cars to get going in the direction he wanted to go. He got mad about that. So he started knocking on my door while company was over. Move those cars now or I'm calling the police. Well, a couple times I didn't move him. He called the police on me. Not once, but at least a couple times. What's my mind thinking? Okay, I'm going to get up at night and put some nails under his wheels. <laughs> I'm going to let the air out of it. I mean, I was mad at this guy. I wanted to get even. I wanted to take vengeance in my own hands. And then I sensed the Holy Spirit speaking to me. This is your chance, Ron, to glorify me and let your children see that. Remember, parents, our children are watching us all the time. I was watching the other day Jacob's little kids, his Jude is the older one, and, of course, Beckham's the younger one at our house by the swimming pool. And everything that Judah did, little Beckham wanted to do. Children, watch what you and me do. So instead of calling the police, or actually, he did call the police on me. I thought, what am I going to do? I'm just going to pray. It took a while. It took a while. But I kept praying, and I showed my kids it. I don't remember, no, Jacob remembers this story at all. He's shaking his head. He knows a little bit about it. 
But I decided not to take matters in, in my own hands, and I sat down and made it a lesson for my kids. I said, this is what we're supposed to do and pray. That guy left the neighborhood. <laughs> Praise God for answered prayer. It took a while, like David going to the throne, but at least on that one, like David, I was able to win the victory. Guys, when we walk with God, we'll be able to do that more often than not. That's what we need to glean from this particular story. There's one other incident I want to bring to your attention that we need to learn from, and that's Jonah. You guys know the story about the little book of Jonah where he was called to be a kind of a preacher and go to Nineveh, his enemies, and preach to them so God wouldn't destroy them. It'd be like you and me saying, well, let's go to Russia or China and preach to them so they would change their lives. And we're saying, well, we don't like them. They've been, been our enemies for a long time. I just pray that God will wipe them off the map. That's what Jonah wanted to happen to the Ninevites, and he wouldn't go. He wouldn't do what God asked him to do. God's asked you to speak to your neighbor, your worker, co-worker, your boss about Jesus, and you haven't. First of all, you don't want him to go to heaven. <laughs> you don't want him to be there with you after all the bad things he or she has done. He's getting to go to heaven with me? Well, no way, Lord. I mean, people have thought that way. I've heard that on the media. You mean this so-and-so criminal after killing so many people is going to get, get, go to heaven? I, I don't want to serve that kind of God. I, I don't want to be there. That's people's attitudes, like Jonah. Here's what happened to Jonah when he refused to go in Jonah 2. From inside the fish... Jonah prayed to the Lord his God and said, I am in distress. I called to the Lord and he answered me from deep into the realm of the dead. I called for help and you listened to me. Jonah 2.10. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah into the dry land. So the, the fish swallowed him. He's in torture day and night for three days and three nights. And long story short, God hears his prayer, has mercy on him, and delivers him from this big fish. You would think he would be merciful and compassionate after God showing him mercy and compassion. Well, that's not the case. Notice in Jonah 3, after God told him to speak to the Ninevites, and he said, when God saw what the Ninevites did after, after Jonah preached to them finally, they turned from their evil ways, and he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. What's Jonah's reaction? But Jonah, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestalled by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. He'd rather die than see mercy granted to his enemies. How are you dealing with your enemies? Are you trying to take vengeance into your own hands? in little subtle ways, talking down people, destroying people with your tongue, being rude or crude to someone else, getting, trying to get even. Even is your middle name. Between the, see, even between the beginning and end of your name, even. I want to get even. God says, leave that 
into my hands. Because of time, let me get to the last point this morning. Conversation with God. And you think, what does this have to do with the aftermath of killing the giant? Well, I told you earlier that David actually wrote 70, there were 73 psalms that David wrote. 63 of them were before he ever ascended to the throne. 73 psalms he wrote. Those are talks. Those are conversations with God. Those are prayers that he offered up to God during this waiting period. And we have learned so much about our Lord, our God, our Savior that's to come, and how he wanted David to conduct himself, and ultimately how he wants us to conduct ourselves. Remember, God wants us to pray. Jeremiah 33, 3 teaches us, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. During this 21 days of prayer, there are some things I don't know. And I'm asking God to reveal it to you and me. We would like to be the head and not the tail. Amen. So I'm asking God to reveal to us what is coming down the pike this year. Election year is coming. There is no telling what they're going to throw at us in this nation because the evil people in all the countries of the world, including our country, are in control. And evil is going to come at you and me. So God, is there really going to be an embargo? Is there going to be a food shortage? Is the economy going to collapse? Is this monkeypox? I think they're monkeying around with all of us, don't you? Is this monkeypox for real? See, th something may come down the pike that may be real, but because they've lied to us so many times, we don't know what to believe from the law. By the way, do not believe lost people. Turn off the news and quit listening to the liars out there. Amen? They're not telling you the truth. Get your truth from godly speaking men and women and quit listening to the world tell you a bunch of lies. I meet with a group of people. We call it signs of the time. We'll continue again this fall. And we talk about this subject. Who should we listen to? Even Christians, the Bible tells us that, right? Try the spirits when they tell you something and says, God says, listen, evaluate, let your spirit discern what they're saying and see if they're telling you the truth. And by the way, if they tell you something, it better come true every time or I'm never listening to you again. So, we need to call on God for times like this that we're going through so we, ha we are equipped to handle what's coming down. And God bless this church during 2020, and we were equipped to handle the coronavirus. Amen? And we started meeting on Mother's Day, and our church has been blessed ever since, and souls have been added to the kingdom of God, and Christians have been strengthened, and the church has met like God commanded us to do in Hebrews 10.25. Well, David prayed for many, many things. He said in Psalm 27, Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. That's what we want to do during this 21 days. Be just like David and seek God's face. And he would always usually end a psalm by saying, I know you'll do what you said you'd do. 
Did you ever read that in the Psalms? I know you're going to do what I'm crying out for you to do. I know you're going to do. He also said in Psalms 28, to you, Lord, I call. You are my rock. Do not turn a deaf ear to me. For if, if you remain silent, I would be like those who go down to the pit. Hear my cry for mercy as I call to you for help, as I lift up my hands toward your most holy place. One more, he says, praise be to the Lord in Psalms 28, for he has heard my cry. He begins with a cry, a pain, a request, and he always answers David. He has heard my cry. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy, and with my song I praise him. Proverbs 16, 7. When people's lies please the Lord, even their enemies are at peace with them. And here's the one that I really want you to catch a hold of for our 21 days of prayer. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. For the most part, I do what's right. Wow, that sounds very egotistical. We as believers need to all be saying that. I'm a saint. I'm a saint. You're a saint. You're not a sinner anymore. You're a saint. Start getting used to that. Look in the mirror. I'm a saint. We're overcomers. Yes, in the sanctification process, yes, we do sin. And God forgives us and you and me walk in forgiveness. We walk in the light. And his love and his blood cleanses us constantly from our unrighteousness. You are a saint. You are righteous before God. And what does he say about you and me? He says, the eyes of the Lord watch over those who do what is right. His ears are open to their prayers. Are you coming to pray with us on Tuesday? But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil, who go to bed and start thinking, who start getting on the phone and doing evil. Start talking at work and doing evil. Now, these are his prayers, but I want to remind you, in ending, sometimes it's easy to forget to pray about everything. Were we not commanded to pray about everything? Is that the scripture in, in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians? Pray about everything at all times. So I'll leave you with this passage. David made an error, and we read about this error. David committed adultery at the Bathsheba and had her husband killed. Jacob will be talking about that next week. But here's what the scripture says. After David found out and he knew that God knew and Nathan the prophet came to him to reveal what he had done, how would you like someone come knocking on your door every time you sin? I gave you your master's house to you, Saul, and your master's wives in your arms. That's a hard one to figure out, but that's what the scripture says. I gave you all Israel and Judah. David was blessed. But I love this. And if all this had been too little, I would have... See, don't look at David. See God, hear God. Hear Jesus in the house saying this to you, believer. If that would have been too little, I would have given you even more. 
Now, we're not talking about name it and claim it stuff. You know we're not that kind of church, and I'm not that kind of pastor. Prosperity gospel. Just take it for what it is. You have needs in your life like David. He had to be patient to wait on some of those things, remember? Learn to be content in every situation. But the answer's coming for whatever it is that you have need of, and you're right with God. When something happens in my life, first thing I want to do is, am I right with you, God? Second thing I do is make sure I get right with God. Therefore, I'm not suffering because of my own stupidity. Therefore, whatever God brings into my life at this time, I'm going, okay, God, okay, you brought this into my life. What is it that you want to teach me? What is it you want to teach them? What are we to learn? What, are you, what kind of character are you developing? What kind of work are you doing? What do you want my children to see or not to see? There's so many things going on while you're waiting for that prayer to be answered. But he wants to meet your need. He said, he's given you what he's given you. If you need more and you're walking in my sight, I would have given you more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Here's the consequence. He didn't lose his salvation. There's consequences to our sins. Now, remember the Bible also says in Psalms, I have not treated you as your sins deserve. Boy, if there is a shout, there needs to be a hundred shouts in the house of God today. God has not treated us as our sins deserve. Can you give God a praise clap? For Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for not treating me as my sins and your sins deserve. Oh, man, we should be running around here singing hallelujah. That is something to get excited about. He, but he did say this. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be your own. Oh, I'm so glad that God protected me in my life against many, many sins. Oh, I've committed sins like you. I have to include you so I don't feel alone. But there are some sins we know that have a consequence to it. Divorce is one of those. Murdering is one of those. It has a consequence to it. Getting caught stealing. Doesn't mean God doesn't love you anymore if you repent of your sins. But there's a consequence, so think about it before you do it. The, 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 the admonition is this, as we close. Pray about everything. Here's why. First Peter says, be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Listen, you're going to walk out this church today. And i got to be prayed up and careful, too, because I've made some bold statements today. You pray for me, please, and I'm going to pray for myself, because I've learned, oh, I've learned, when I teach something and preach something, to be on my guard against. I don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid, but be on our guard. Resist the devil. I start, my temperature starts rising with my wife. Ooh, back down, back down, back down. When you're walking with God, that's what will happen. When you're not walking with God, blah. Regret. 
Second thing, 1 Thessalonians, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. I've learned to trust God. Listen, I don't want to get paid back for every mistake I've made, and so I don't hold everyone else accountable for every mistake they've made. You need to quit holding people accountable for the mistakes they've made and forgive them. If you expect to be forgiven of God, revival will take place if you'll start forgiving your partner or your wife or your husband or your son or your daughter or your boss. Forgiveness would just break out in this church. And then last verse, Ephesians 6, 18, as we ended. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Would you stand at this time as we pray? A lot of scripture went out. I trust the scripture more than any fancy thing I can say or or my outlines. The word of God will not return void. Father, I pray this morning, first of all, that you're pleased with, with our minds, our hearts, and the words that have been spoken. It's so easy to walk out this door, Father, and just be another meal. But I pray that you'll water and fertilize the seeds that were spoken today. Father, I pray for my own life. I said I was righteous because you gave me righteousness. And I am right with you right now. And many believers here could echo that with me. They're right with you and they're walking with you. Father, may the bells ring like someone trying to get in our house. May the alarms go off the second we know that the enemy's trying to set a trap, but you have always made a way of escape for whatever we're being tempted with. Jealousy, taking vengeance in their own hands, or just forgetting to pray about something. Lord, so much needs to take place in this church. Would you cause your people to hunger, to get a hold of you, to pray for their marriages, for their children, for their grandchildren, for their jobs, for this country, for the kingdom of God to fall fresh upon this church for salvations, people that need to know you for the first time ever. I pray that that will happen in this church. Maybe, Lord, it will please you to also do healing. And we ask for that also. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way, everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.